0: Hey guys, this is Joe Bishop with Radio Rothbard, and I wanted to let you know about an exciting event we have coming up on September 23rd in Nashville, Tennessee. One of Ron Paul's favorite lines was, truth is treason and the empire of lies. Americans around the country are waking up to this reality, war across the globe, regulating free speech at home, printing trillions of dollars. The regime accepts no limits to its power. Speaking on this topic, we all have brave truth tellers, including Ted Carpenter, Michael Rechtenwald, Jonathan Newman, and many more. Again, this is on September 23rd in beautiful Nashville, Tennessee. You can find more about this event and get your tickets at Mises.org Nashville 23.
1: Hello and welcome back to Radio Rothbard. I'm Ryan McMakin. I'm executive editor with the Mises Institute. And with me as always is my co-host, Tho Bishop. Now, this week, let's talk a little bit about the Trump indictment, or indictments. It's really a multi-stage process. And uh, Thoe has this week uh, written an article. We haven't run a whole lot of it on Mises.org. That's M-I-S-E-S dot O-R-G, in case you haven't visited lately. Um, because it's it's largely a legal issue, but there are, of course, larger issues of the relationship between the regime and the voting public and manipulation of the voting public by the regime using federal criminal law. So let's look a little bit into that. And Tho's article this week at Mises.org is called The United States Versus Donald J. Trump. And let's just start off when we talk about this. uh, I think many of our readers can be forgiven for not following the details of what the charges are, Um, and many are just perhaps exhausted or they're not personally invested in Trump very much. And so we're going to need to explain why it matters, why anyone should care if they're not a diehard Trump backer. Um, but let's just start off by uh, looking at what the charges are. Any of these like real crimes or are these just more of those federal made up crimes that uh, the, the FBI and federal prosecutors had to, to spin uh, through some BS multi-stage process? So what are we looking at here? These are very, very
0: serious trial, uh, tr- crimes, Ryan. Um, <laughs> we, we have conspiracy to defraud the United States. Conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding obstruction of an attempt to obstruct an official proceeding and conspiracy against rights. And they actually use, they evoke the um, the, the 1871 Ku Klux Klan law as a way of restricting civil rights of the American populace. So this is very, very serious stuff here, Ryan. <laughs> uh, but but you're right. It, it's easy to kind of let this stuff, like, you, know, you, you get to the point where you just get Trump exhaustion just from the legal side of things now because there's been... Multiple indictments now, most from Jack Smith, who was the special counsel here. Um, up to this point, they have largely focused on um, the improper holding of classified information. Um, you know, there's been uh, a, a two different cases filed on that. Um, you know, whether Trump was in position of documents he shouldn't have had after he left office, whether he was showing people, and there's this great clip of Trump like. In, in off the record, like after, in between doing an interview for a book, where he, and he's, he's talking about, "Hey, look, look at these military plans. I'm not supposed to show you them, but look, like they wanted me to invade Iran. These people are crazy." And, and so, you know, it, it, it's easy to kind of get, you know, bored of, "Okay, well, Trump's in trouble again. Trump's in trouble again." Um, and, but but they, they seem to, you know, there, there is a, a, I think, a purpose for this repetition. There was a separate issue involving Fulton uh, County, Georgia, and and the broader sort of going back to the election issues within that state and a Democrat prosecutor there. You also had the the, the issue with um, the the sexual harassment case up in New York where he was found guilty and had had charged a a civil uh, monetary penalty up there. But all of this, you know, really, this in particular, I think, is the creme de la creme of Trump derangement syndrome from a legal side of things, where they're really, you know, the, the case here is that Trump attacked American democracy. And the core of their argument is they have all of these, you know, they, they, they had, this is, all goes back to the good old Liz Cheney years, um, you know, way, it seems way, way back ago, but you know, just last year, where you had the January 6th hearings, the primetime television event, they bring all these people from Trump world. You know, they, they pressure them. It's like, oh, well, you know, Trump's not going to uh, to bail you out. So, you know, tell us what you need to know. And so you have all these Trump officials that go in the record saying, yeah, we told Trump that uh, this conspiracy was crazy. We told Trump that we couldn't find enough evidence for voter fraud to change the election. We told him this. We told him Mike Pence can't uh, throw the elections back to the state legislators. We told him all this. We told him all this. And yet Trump still goes out there and says the election was rigged. They they stole it, and I, I think specific claims about the election. I mean I think if, are, are blatantly false, right? You know there was no kraken that Sidney Powell had that uh, you know of evidence that voter machines were being having their data run through Venezuela or China. I can't remember which, which country it was, and that they were you know just changing the actual like numbers on the machines and this, that, and the other. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very skeptical. You know, nothing seems to have been made of that. But there is this secondary dynamic where there very much was a change of, you know, as we've talked on the past, the change of the way elections were held, um, the lack of security and sort of tracking a ballot from a person casting their vote to it getting to a machine to get counted. I mean, we all know that there were tons of irregularities justified by COVID, Um, you know, extraordinary measures that certain states took upon themselves. This led to an attempted Supreme Court challenge by um, states led by Texas basically saying that these unconstitutional changes that blue states made, largely blue states made to their voting platform defrauded them of an incredible election, that was thrown out. And, and so there, there is two sides of it. One is, oh, well, you know, did Trump really believe that um, Lynn Wood, who is kind of this crazy attorney, former Democrat, you know, if, if we talk about controlled opposition, you know, he's, he's kind of an interesting guy for, for that sort of mark. Whether or not all of the allegations made were accurate is irrelevant to essentially what this is charging, which was that Trump simply by speaking out against the credibility of this past election, he was waging war. He he was he was criminally liable for the any actions that his supporters took, obviously late in January 6th, we're ignoring the, the federal you know, agitation side of it for the time being but that is essentially what he is being indicted on with this particular indictment, which is, you know, United States of America versus John J. Trump. And that dynamic, you know, you've written at length, we've talked about it on the show, you know, there's this entire class of these phony, made-up crimes that the state creates. And I think this pairs very nicely since I still had anatomy of the state on the mind after our Mises U podcast. You know, this goes directly to what Rothbard talked about, about the need for the state to maintain the perception of its own own legitimacy, that the crimes that it takes most seriously are these attacks on its legitimacy or its functions. And this is precisely why, you know, Trump is where he is right now. The the, the way that he left office, you know, ironically, after all of the um, compromises that Trump made relative to his 2016 campaign promises, to the way he actually governed, in spite of all of that moderation, in spite of handing over the federal government to Fauci during COVID, in spite of you know giving federal reserve nominees, which you know the 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 establishment was cheering on at the time, in spite of how relatively toothless Trump really was at draining the swamp, it's the way that he left office that those in D.C. can never forgive. And again, this goes directly to the the necessity of the state to crush anyone who questions its underlying legitimacy
1: yeah i think that's an important point right i don't think they hated trump because of the way he quote unquote governed if you can use that verb uh, to describe what he was doing while he was in the white house um, because, yeah, his appointments, Supreme Court, that's yeah, what I would have expected from any Republican president. Uh, his, uh, his actions on guns, generally very bad. Issued lots of executive orders, appointed lots of bad people. Um, what, what's there to truly hate about this guy from his actual time in office? But, but, in, but it's notable that all of this stuff they're piling on him, it seems to be rooted mostly just in stuff he said, in the final days of his presidency. Uh, Things that, like, uh, things he just, words that came out of his mouth about expressing doubts about the legitimacy of the election. And that's very bizarre that we let people in the federal government prosecute people for such quote-unquote crimes. Uh, Of course, normal people can express... um, doubts about the legitimacy of the regime all day long or at least should be able to as any reasonable understanding of the freedom of speech would imply and so it's difficult to see how they come to the conclusion that trump isn't allowed to express those uh, same doubts. Presumably, the Bill of Rights applies also to presidents. I mean, if anything, presidents have extra privileges, right? There's no shortage of rights that presidents have. But they've uh, decided to interpret this as some sort of attack on the regime, trying to portray it as some sort of physical attack. And that's why we see words like treason thrown around, um, where- Insurrectionists. Right, which- (laughs) <laughs> well, and I did a whole discussion uh with other political scientists uh at Politico, talking about was this a coup or not, and well, I said, yeah, it was a riot of of at least some kind. It clearly wasn't a coup in the sense of there was there was no party, no part of the regime wanting to take over, just simply didn't fit the bill plus it just wasn't serious uh, this wasn't a serious attempt to take over the government and yet we're being told that this is a conspiracy that goes to the highest level and was going to undermine our democracy whatever that means and all based on oh trump said some things and everyone who liked him is a mindless automaton and had to to do whatever he suggested that they do uh, this is so beyond Uh, any common sense that would involve uh, any sort of real liability. It's really amazing that the feds are able to get away with this. But as people have made the point uh, many times before, whenever you look at some of these legal scholars who are examining federal law, um, they can make a case to do whatever they want. I mean, this is is a case that uh, Bill Anderson has made more than once, like on racketeering charges and such. You don't you can be charged on racketeering without actually committing any particular crime. It, what they do is they create this, uh, they spin this conspiratorial web where, oh, he he went to the supermarket and then he had a meeting with this guy and then he he mailed something and this. And so you can see this is all part of a criminal conspiracy and so there's really no limits on what the feds could come up with and spin in terms of crimes oh he said this thing and then he traveled to this location and this shows that he was planning to physically take control of the government somehow and there people should not be fooled i mean there is nothing really that qualifies as an actual crime here and i think it's just really going to for the worse um really helped to expand federal power and federal prosecutors ability to really just uh, portray acts of dissent as some sort of crime against the regime. And it's always, uh, we don't, of course, have to invoke Nazi Germany, although we could, right, where it became a crime to demoralize the troops by questioning the war effort. This was actually a capital crime under that regime. And of course, these have been uh, similar Similarly, you would find extremely similar crimes uh, under the Soviet regime as well, right? Any sort of questioning of the regime, any sort of attempts to um, really just uh, undermine the le- legitimacy of the, the Stalinist regime, just through words, was deemed as... Uh, anti-Soviet behavior, bourgeois conspiracy, all those sorts of buzz terms they use. And it seems that now the buzz term that America has settled on is undermining democracy. Uh, and so it's, it should be very alarming to people that this sort of thing is taking, uh, taking place in the United States. Yeah,
0: and, and, and I think it's interesting. There's um, uh, uh, Richard Hania. Who has some takes that make me shake my head, but sometimes I actually do pick up something on, Um, you know, his analysis of kind of the 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 the, um, current issue with uh, uh, kind of what what keeps Trump going, kind of within the field, like why is he crushing Ron DeSantis, for example. Um, One of the points that he made was that um, uh, Johnny Carson is, is that what voters want like Republican voters want more than they want like an effective governor, more than they want a, a, someone who's going to, to effectively own the libs. They want to be entertained. Um, they want Johnny Carson. And that's what Trump creates, right? Like Trump is a, a entertainment, um, uh, Trump is an entertainment device. And so what you have is all of these issues that we have with you know, the, the procedural misconduct, the extent to which the feds can manipulate things all of that is now being played up on with the biggest celebrity of red state America. You know, it, it, the, the, the prime time television event is getting this treatment. And I think that's the important thing. I think this is what is contributing to this lower um, decline of institutions. It's contributing to, um, you know, this this complete, you know, you, again, the FBI is now a slur uh, within a lot of Republican voters. And it's precisely, again, and, and that's the thing is that, you. Know, do they need this, this particular charge to attack Trump? No, like they, they've, yeah, you, know, you know, I'm I'm not trying to defend the crime of, you know, Trump having, uh, uh, you know, classified documents in Mar-a-Lago. I'm not saying that. Oh well, get on. I mean, maybe the existence of, of of classified documents itself should be a crime. Maybe maybe the the power that the president has should be a crime. But I think from a from a legal standpoint, right, it looks like that there, there might be sound arguments that can be made for, okay, well, this crime is in the books, Trump probably violated this. He seemed to know at the time that he was violating it. So that's fine. Like That's, that's one thing right there, the extent of which that would be punished if he wasn't Trump, right? How often you have classified documents in the, the basements of a variety of people, including the current president and including the former vice president, um, Mike Pence, who you know has no threat of any criminal actions here. Fine. That's, that's a separate issue. It's this, is that they, they constantly feel the need to attack and attack and attack and to frame this entire response to the elections as this grave assault. And we've seen this be used for the aesthetics of the Biden administration throughout, this increasingly militaristic, flamboyant, you know, us versus them mentality, the, the way that we've escalated, or that the feds have escalated various domestic surveillance tools. And one of the things I find fascinating is that we can find a very similar example to this to our friends down south in Brazil, where Javier Bolsonaro, you know, the Trump of the tropics, he got this very same treatment for the very same crime, which was allegations of voter fraud, largely made by his supporters, right? Bolsonaro wasn't leading a military coup. A lot of his supporters wished he did, (laughs) whether or not Brazil would be in a better place. Right now, if he did, a different question, right? But his supporters gathered at Brazilian government buildings. His supporters. You know, there, there was even you know a QAnon shaman in a Brazilian style. There, right? The, the parallels were you know just you, you couldn't make it up. And Bolsonaro was also taken down by the very same exact tactics that the uh, Brazilian government there did. Um, you had a little bit of a di- different dynamic there, where the head sort of means of censorship there has been the complete capture of the Supreme Court. In Brazil, by these progressive actors that shut down all sorts of free speech going into it, that would make you know Zuckerberg and you know the previous Twitter regime blush and their over-the-topness, right? Uh, so, so we see it, We've already seen this kind of play out in you know a a a, a, interest, a, a large prominent um, you know country where this exact same playbook was followed, and in fact, a, immediately after the election of Lula which has all sorts of shady aspects within that. You had the Biden, stream, Biden administration going down there and saying, you know, this was absolutely the most secure election that Brazil could have had. We, we have no questions at all. Don't look anything further, right? And so we have this playbook now in this era of trust the experts in this era of you know, the, the institutions. If, if you question the narrative of the institutions, you are in the wrong. And given that it's not that, that we have this these various instances all happening at the same time, right? It's, it's not simply, you have people who, again, take RFK Jr., for example. Uh, you know, RFK Jr. wasn't out there on January 6th saying, you know, let, let's storm this place. It was rigged, right? I mean, I have no doubt that RFK Jr. voted for Biden, but his skepticism of the medical regime and the sort of people that are, drop, that are drifting to him, I guarantee you that a lot of the people drifting to RFK Jr. and see that as sort of an anti-establishment poke in the face, right? You know, these, these are not you know, for the most part, Trump people. They are, you know, maybe like a a Joe Rogan crowd, sort of, you know, independent thinker, like Tulsi Gabbard, maybe voted for Bernie Sanders in 2016, you know, outside of the traditional box sort of people. And yet there's all these pressures where it's just this over-reliant, you know, arbitrary use of force under the banner of these institutions where people are saying, no, this doesn't make any sense. Why am I being censored for talking about it? Why are people losing their livelihoods because of this? Why are people's medical conditions being taken away? You know, why are people being arrested for, you know, going into the Capitol where it seems like capital police were kind of letting them go in to sort of de-thaw the, the tensions there. You know, why are all these things happening? And again it goes directly to, you know, this the 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 state is overplaying its hand right now. That the state is you know, a, a strong regime would not be acting this way, in my opinion, you know, a, a, a regime that is confident in itself. I mean, we've seen all sorts of crazy attacks on the Capitol in the past, right? You, you had weather underground activists, you know, bombing government buildings, right? Um, you know, they, they didn't, qu- I mean, and, and now they're serving and, you know, now, now they're, they're teaching, you know, in, in Ivy League universities. I have a feeling that uh, the QAnon shaman is not gonna be uh, giving lectures on a, a civil disobedience at the University of Chicago come three, 30 years from now, right? You know, this this dynamic in which, you know, they, they are so overreacting, again, to, to a figure like Trump, who again, is, is many things, you know, I, I get that there's always this aspect where the, the vulgarness of Trump offended people in a way that, you know, more so than, than even his ideas. And that's the ironic thing, is that when Trump went into office, right, he wanted to be something much worse than what he became, right? He wanted to be a deal maker. He wanted to be a bipartisan guy. He wanted to, you know, to 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 be a, a squishy moderate that could get photo ops with Nancy Pelosi and, and Chuck Schumer, as well as you know, get the Republican Party to do whatever he wanted to do. That that would have been the absolute worst timeline. It was just from the very beginning there was something that irked him. It led to the Russia Gate situation that the FBI was completely complicit in, with no no accountability at all. Um, and now, again. Just the amusement, the 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 lack of shame, where you have you know these allegations going on at the same time, the same Department of Justice is given an expanded immunity to Hunter Biden for what clears what seems to be pretty obvious influence peddling, right? Right? Where you have you know his business partners coming and like, oh yeah, he would bring his father on the phone to impress people. Now, whether or not Biden directly involved, I mean. It, it kind of smells that way, but fine, whatever. I, you know, if, you, if you want to argue oh, there's there's no, there's no bulletproof evidence there, right? Fine, whatever. But it's clear that Hunter Bi- Biden is corrupt as hell. And yet, you know, he gets a slap on the wrist for gun charges that would have otherwise been very serious if he, his name wasn't Hunter Biden. And it, it's just, it's, it's the absurdity of it all. I mean, the, the state has become, and you know, we, we, we can talk about clown world in a variety of ways, but the state has become the biggest clown of them all, and just, just a clear double standard. That if, if, unless you are completely living in this world where, you know, Jack Smith is Captain America, righting all the wrongs, cleaning up all the bad stuff, you know, he finally got, you know, they, they, they got that racist Donald Trump with that Ku Klux Klan legislation, and there's nothing fishy about that, right? And unless you actually fully believe this, this absurd narrative. I mean, unfortunately, there's a lot of people that do, plenty of people that do, right? It's the same people that thought, you know, wearing a surgical mask was gonna protect them from a virus, that's fine, they're out there, they live among us. But unless you're really to get on board with this increasingly ridiculous framing, you're, how are you gonna look at authorities? How are you gonna look at the feds? And that's why I think that, again, regardless of your opinion of Trump, this is a great, a great silver lining where the regime is, is, is undermining itself with people who otherwise, you know, came up in an era... I mean, it doesn't even matter what generation you're talking about for the most part, right? They come, came up believing that there's some sort of rule of law, some sort of, you know, maybe a lot of incompetency when it comes to DC, right? You know, they don't like paying taxes, but at least there is some sense that they weren't just utterly ridiculous and malicious people. And I think that's the thing here is that the, the obvious maliciousness of this all, again, arresting grandmas and throwing them in solitary confinement in federal prisons, right? Like that doesn't sit well, no matter of your thoughts on Trump via Trump. Um, and, and that's that's a dynamic here where, again, it's exposing, you know, to, to borrow from Mary Rothbard, the true anatomy
1: of the state. Yeah, I think that's a, a good paragraph in this article is really, that really captures, I think, where we're forced to speculate over where are we in the in the timeline right You note (laughs) you note all of these issues that undermine uh, confidence in the regime and in its elections Um, but you do note that this does not mean Washington is more impotent now in imposing its will on civilians than it was before Biden and you go on to say an insecure regime is a dangerous one and of course this has played out many many times historically it was It's not a coincidence that it was after the horrible uh, loss for the German regime uh, at Stalingrad that they really started clamping down on people like Sophie Scholl and anyone who criticized the regime or anyone who refused uh, military service. And because we see all sorts of executions then taking place in uh, 1943, all in the wake. Uh, the sudden realization by the regime that uh, they might be going down and so there was an attempt to button everything up and of course you can see this in in all other authoritarian regimes as well where it sees um, a real threat to the security of the regime well then it's time to release the police state police state and sick it on everybody (laughs) in the regime who might even be remotely considered an enemy of the state and of course that then uh, ends up trapping just a lot of regular people who are pretty much minding their own business, but maybe just, uh, aren't big fans of the regime and that can go on for a long time. Now it, it is always the early part of the death throes. I mean, you saw it even in the Soviet union, right? People eventually they start to pick up on just how reality obviously is not the same thing as what the regime claims reality is. It's uh, you're, they recognize they're being lied to constantly. They recognize that uh, the regime is not really built on uh, the approval of the population. They, they get a sense of what's going on. Of course, most of them don't have the time or the energy or the resources to do anything about it until it just becomes so acute that the regime eventually just uh, enters a crisis period. But in the meantime, the regime could do a lot of damage. So so yeah, I think you're right. For now, the regime is plenty potent in its ability uh, to arrest people, prosecute people, create new crimes, go after anyone who dares question it. Um, But at the same time, you're going to see not just the maliciousness of it, I think, but we could also just add the fact that it It departs from reality in that it doesn't match up uh, with what people are actually seeing and that people start to detect uh, the double standard and the hypocrisy behind it, right? For example, people might wonder, well, why is it that Hillary gets to declare the 2016 uh, election uh, invalid because of Russian interference, interference that apparently uh, didn't amount to much at all, and yet when Trump says that the 2020 election was uh no good then he gets prosecuted for that and i'm sure that uh the people prosecuting trump they have uh their nuanced reasoning as to why there's a difference Uh, but i think the the casual observer is going to see oh i i get it if you're on one side you get to uh declare the election no good but if you're on the other side you don't get to and then you have to wonder well which side are you even on um because While people listening to this podcast may be uh, very committed to one side or the other, a lot of people aren't. And so it's just not really clear uh, what the regime is doing, except that it's behaving in a cruel and capricious manner. And uh, that really undermines it. Unfortunately, though, it doesn't uh, doesn't bear fruit immediately. And as we've seen in many other failed regimes, it can take quite a lot of time.
0: And, you know, the catalyst they're using to justify all this, right, is January 6th. Right, you know, and, and you know, I, I think that is, and, and I understand that argument. Right, I can understand that logic. Okay, well, Hillary Clinton was was railing, you know, there was an illegitimate fraud and, and election interference and yada yada yada, and you had multiple members of the Democrat caucus, including the, the new, you know, the the person that replaced Nancy Pelosi, make the same argument. You had a variety of Democrat congressmen refuse to confirm the the results of the election, Um, you know, which. They're, they're even trying to link in some of the city members of Congress in this broader conspiracy because of that action, right? But, oh, well, that was just all procedural, it was all ceremonial, whatever. Um, that's different because this time you actually had violence, you had property damage, right? They, they attacked the, the sacred halls of the US Capitol, right? But but of course, and then that gets into the, the secondary part of this, which is the extent to which you know the FBI refuses any transparency on how many agents were there the role of those agents you have this Ray Epps fellow who you know is one person caught on camera saying we must go into the building right and, and immediately being chanted down as a fed you know he's been treated with unusually soft kid gloves by everyone involved he apparently has some some back government connections in his own right his attorney is a very interesting character they they used so January 6th was the clear catalyst for justifying all of this and of course as you know, as, as uh, uh, Tate Fegley mentioned in his Mises U lecture, um, talking about placing, um, you know, there is this apparatus where, you know, the the the, the terror ink dynamic of the federal government. I mean, there, there was a great article today about the FBI doing an investigation about you know where the spyware came from, and I was like, oh, well, surprise, surprise, it was the FBI that was using the spyware. You know, we know, we know the FBI has no problem at all creating these instances. We have no problem. The FBI has no problem hookering in. You know you' bringing in a bunch of disgruntled Trump supporters and going to try and kidnap the governor of of Michigan um you know they've been running this playbook with uh, you know young Islamic boys for for a very long time right you know we, we know we know the government has no problems at all creating an incident like this for its own preference and the beauty of it is that now we aren't the only ones that know this you have an ever growing you know span of you know the old school bill o'reilly audience you have tucker you know you went back when he was on fox before he got taken down you had T- tucker carlson talking about this so the people that are aware of the way that the state actually works is larger now than it's it's probably been in the region you know as long as we've had the modern state you know with all of the, the bells and whistles we get right now and that is is a very important thing and i also want to you know just on the point of you know if we think about a counterfactual here Right? What would you know? Rather than a a weak regime that's lashing out and, and doing all this absurdity, what would a strong regime do? Um, and and I, because I I do think this is this is a, a relevant counterfactual, you know. Right? What would you have? You know, what what was the path of avoiding all of this if theoretically? Um, you know, you, you see this anger that exists, right? The anger might not be valid, right? It's, it's perfectly possible that Trump lost Georgia and, and Pennsylvania and Arizona and, you know, all these states based on his own own merit, right? Yes, yeah, so that's very, very, that's not all that difficult to believe. Well, then, like, you could have had a congressional hearing about this. This is what uh, – Ted Cruz and Josh Hollig, and not necessarily, you know, people I'm, I'm you know, endorsing without condition there, but you know, they were trying to bring up, well, hey, look, this, this anger exists, whether we like it or not. You know, regardless of what Washington thinks and the New York Times thinks, this anger exists, it's real within a large percentage of this country, right? You had two thirds of the Trump voters at the time of the election convinced that it was stolen, it's 55 plus million people in America that aren't going anywhere. And so if you had any interest and, and social cohesion, any interest in de political tensions, you could have allowed the federal government to show a passing interest in some of these quirky things out there. We, we, we could have talked about, okay, well, maybe this procedure wasn't right. It shouldn't be done again. You know, don't do it next time, right? There, there could have been, you know, it was, was that gonna solve everyone? No, if the, the person that thought JFK Jr. was going to take the stage with Donald Trump and, you know, has this entire time, you know, Joe Biden is actually a fake guy with a mask and he's rotting in Gitmo, right? Some of those narratives are out there. The person that believes that, they're, they're, they're never going to be convinced by a congressional hearing, right? There's, there's no any sort of, of, of due diligence that, that the state could do. But, but it could have done that to dethaw tensions for a large percentage of that, right? These are not irrational people. Um, again, you could be perfectly reasonable and think, huh? That 2020 election is, is a little weird I, the, the idea that Joe Biden got more votes than Barack Obama by an overwhelming mile that's that's a little that's a little odd um, that the, the inability to even consider that hmm we have some sort of, of obligation to allow these these concerns to be vetted out in the normal process that's the arrogance with which the modern state is operating with it's, it's all it's all fist there, there's, there's there's no velvet glove on it. And again, this is precisely, you know, the, the reason why Ludwig von Mises was an advocate for democracy was because he saw the voting process as a way of of helping to simmer down these tensions. He, he was afraid of violent revolution. He didn't like, you know, a chaotic, um, I, I don't want to use the word anarchistic, but, you know, he, he didn't want a, a crazy disruption of political regimes because there, there tends to be consequences to that. And there, there could be consequences to this, you know, if if, if you know, everything burns down. Like that's it's a reasonable thing to understand. There's 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 trade-offs here. There's, there's, there's ways that things like this go badly. But when you don't have, but it requires an element of good faith. It requires an element of respect for citizenry. And again, for all the bad things that governments and again, they've done a lot of evil things, it, it's it's that level of arrogance that does more to to tapple, t- take them down. The greatest scandal, right? You know, maybe that's maybe that's a problem, right? You know, you can bomb a bunch of kids. You know, you you can you can, uh, can firebomb towns to the ground, and as long as you do it with some sort of uh, uh, you know solid procedure and a, and a respect for the, the voting block then no one really cares, right? But it's when you start doing these sort of actions without any regard for normality or 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 just respect for the citizenry of your own country that's when things get very very interesting, and that's why I hope everyone has their Radio Rothbard mug, which they can get at mises.org slash rothmug, and enjoy the crazy, chaotic world that we're in. Because again, this political dynamic has nothing to do with the characters within it. It has to do with the state's reaction to anger from the population that allows for possibilities like more, you know, red states, you know, continuing to be aggressive against the federal regime. It leads to a decline and people you know, willing to, to serve the, the US war machine. It leads to people openly questioning these sort of things. And once that light bulb starts turning on, once people start becoming radicalized, once people no longer think that it is uh, a bad thing to be
1: an enemy of the state,
0: that's where uh, you know, Rothbardian flowers can start to bloom.
1: All right. Well, with that, we'll wrap up this episode of Radio Rothbard. Uh, Thank you for tuning in. We'll put some relevant uh, links in the description. And we'll be back next week with another episode. So we'll see you next time.